Brilliant. Well, uh, today we continue our series uh, in resistance. This is the current preaching series that we are in. Uh, and if you haven't been with us for the last, say, a uh, few weeks, let me just catch you up to where we are. Um, the big idea is that there are cultural themes that surround the church all the time. And that if we're not careful, these dominant narratives can lead or draw us away from Jesus and the things that he has for us. And every, every cultural trend that kind of permeates the culture around us, we believe that there is a countercultural lifestyle that Jesus calls his people to. So for every cultural trend, there is a countercultural lifestyle that we are called to. So we have looked at a number of different things. We've looked at the road from anxiety, the anxiety that pervades sometimes our lives that's in the culture that's on the up. We've looked at what the journey is to peace, to accept God's peace and the peace he has for us. We've looked at secularism, to faith. What does it mean not to, what does it mean to look at secularism and look at the dominant themes and things that you're trying to get you to embrace and say is true and say no, what does it mean to be a people of faith? We've looked at tribalism to diversity. And today we're gonna to ask the question, what does it look like to combat a culture of cynicism with a culture of hope? What does it look like to, what, to look at cynicism for what it really is and then to be a people of hope? And if you just heard that and said to yourself, that'll never work. <laughs> that my cynical friends, you're in the right place. No better place for you today than right here. So basically, what is cynicism? What is cynicism? It's the belief that people are out for themselves. It's the, behind, the belief that every, behind every kind act is probably a selfish motive. It's the belief that all, uh, sorry, it's the belief that most things are probably too good to be true. Where's the catch? Where's the catch? The glass is half empty, not half full. And the light at the end of the tunnel is probably an oncoming train. <laughs> that is cynicism. You feeling chipper? That's where we're going this morning. The funny thing about cynicism is that no one sets out to be cynical. Like, I don't think any of us at like 18 go, you know what, when I'm 30 or 40, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to be jaded, I'm going to be bitter, I'm going to be sarcastic. That sounds like a good life goal. That's where I'm headed. But none of us actually say that. But at some point along the way, you might realise, man, when did I like stop kind of trusting? When did I grow less hopeful? When did I stop hoping for fear of being let down? Maybe you remember a time when like the sun would rise, you'd draw the curtains and you'd just feel like anything's possible. And now you're like, that just feels like a really long time ago. Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. For me, this is how it crept up on me. Uh, before I was in Leeds, I worked uh, in a particularly uh, impoverished part of Manchester. I was working for a church, and I was one fan of Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> I was working for a church in a community uh, project there, and um, it was a particularly poor neighbourhood. I was a youth worker, we ran football projects and various things. We were working pupil referral units for kids who got kicked out of school, and we also did stuff uh, with alcoholics, with people who were on the street, people who were trapped in lifestyles of addiction. And there was one person on our team, particularly in his name was Lee. Uh, he was an alcoholic, and 
He had a particularly hard life. At the point that I got to know him, he had lost touch with his family, he didn't speak to his kids anymore, he lost his job, everything had really just turned to dust in his life. And man, we poured so much time and energy into Lee, into Lee's life. You know, uh, one of the highlights of my week, we would, he would come and knock on my door, our office door, and below our office there was a jerk chicken place. Um, and uh, we used to have, read the Bible and have jerk chicken. That was one of the highlights of my week, talk about a door portion. But that's what we used to do, we used to read the Bible, eat jerk chicken. And he used to tell me, man, Rich, I really want to change. Like, I don't want this to be it for me. Like, I want to be able to see my kids again, I want to change. And we managed to get him on the waiting list for a rehab centre. And then he fast forward a number of months, and that day came when he was able to go. We threw a big party for Lee, it was like, okay, this is it, Lee, this is like the hope of the future, like there's possibility here, this is where you need to be, you can get away from all the trappings of your current lifestyle, of the group of friends that you're in, which is just so unhelpful. And this was it, full of possibility, full of hope. And then within 24 hours of him leaving, he was back. Within 24 hours, he threw in the towel, he had clashed with a member of staff there, and he had gotten first train home. And we were gutted, absolutely gutted, not just because of the hours of work, <coughs> excuse me, not just because of the hours of work that it put in to get me there, and it was, trust me, hours of work. But also it was the reality that we thought, you know, if nothing changes fully, I'm just not sure it's going to be around much longer. That was the truth. His lifestyle, he was so vulnerable. I'm not sure he was going to be around much longer. And then about a year later, I was uh, just arrived into Leeds. I had a call. I had a call from one of the guys I used to work with. And it was the call that I think you're often dreading if you've worked with people who are particularly vulnerable. And somebody told me that Lee had died. That Lee had died. And that he'd been passed out uh, drunk in the house, the, the kind of shared house that he'd been put in. And somebody had stamped on his neck and killed him. Vulnerable lifestyle. We wanted to get him out of it. But that was the lifestyle he was in and that was what happened. And in that moment, I realised that I, looking back, that was the moment I started to become a little bit cynical. Hours of support shown, hours of prayers prayed, and it led to nothing, just despair. And in this case, death. And my heart got a little bit smaller that day. A seed of cynicism was planted. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe as I tell that story, maybe you've got your own story of the day that you became a little bit cynical. Maybe for you, actually, it's past relationships and it's a hurt you've experienced. Maybe you think, you know, I've been out with men, I've been out with women, they're all the same, I'm done, just get a cat, that's me. <laughs> maybe you've thrown your heart into your work, maybe it's not relationships for you, maybe you've thrown your heart into your work, you've gone the extra mile, maybe you arrived early, you stayed late, and what happens? You were let go, and you're like, what, all that work? What's the point? Maybe you've been overlooked for, for a promotion. Why do I bother? <coughs> Maybe you've got a very difficult family dynamic. You know, lot, lots of us do. And then people are at each other's throats. Maybe you think, I'm the voice of reason. I'm going to be the voice of peace. I'm going to bring people together. 
And as much, as hard as you try, no one's listening. No one's listening. And you're just saying, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like flogging myself, trying to bring this family together. Nothing's going to change. Maybe you're even cynical about church. Maybe you've been hurt before and viewed as a big deal to come in the back of doors here. Maybe you've been feel like you've been overlooked in ministry opportunity. Maybe you've been around long enough to know that even though you know some of the prayers we pray here, they don't always get answered, and we don't know why. We don't know why, but that's the reality. And maybe unanswered prayer means that you stop praying certain prayers. Or maybe you pray them for other people if you think that's not going to be true for me. Maybe it was never a conscious choice, but if you're honest, some cynicism has grown in your heart. So we have to ask the question, why so cynical? Why? Why? Where does it come from? What's the heart of this poison which can so easily erode hope, undermine trust in relationships, and ultimately crush belief? And we get a fascinating insight into this condition from the life of Solomon. If you don't know about Solomon, uh, he was known as one of the wisest men of his day, and a collection of his writings were brought together in the book of Ecclesiastes. You find Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament of our Bibles. And we'll see in a moment that part of the problem, the reason we become cynical, is that we know too much. We know too much. Listen to Solomon's insight here. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, it goes round on its course, sorry, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. That sometimes feel like your life. The sea's never full, my life's never full, all these inputs. To the place where the streams come from, they return, sorry, to the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear enough of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And you thought sometimes you could be cynical. <laughs> he continues, verse 16, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ever ruled over Jerusalem before. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, but I've learned this too, is chasing after the wind. And then he drops this bombshell. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. What's he saying? The wiser again, the sadder I seem to get. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more I know, the more cynical I become. Where does cynicism come from? Well, you know too much. Because cynicism roots itself in knowledge, the more experiences you've had, the more hurt you've felt, the more times you've been around the block, you suddenly know how this goes. You start saying, yep, that'll happen again. Yep, that's how this one goes. You start thinking you know the end from the beginning. Just think for a moment about when you were a kid. Think when you were like, I don't know, six or eight or ten or however far you can remember back. Why were you so happy? 
Like, why were you so carefree? We just didn't know any better, did you? Didn't know anything about it. You were naive. You might even say stupid. Like, you're, you know, the breadth of what you knew about the world was very, very, very small. And you were pretty happy. You were young. You were sheltered from some of the harsh realities of life. And for some good reasons. Everything seemed possible because you had no data to tell you otherwise. But the older you get, you start making your way into the world, you start taking a few knocks, and suddenly you think, I know how this story ends. You know too much. You know too much. And this is how the progression, that's where it starts, but this is where it kind of leads to. You start to project past experiences onto future situations. See that pattern? Start to project your past experiences onto future situations. So for a long time after Lee had died, if I had met, if I met somebody on the streets or even in church who had a similar lifestyle, a similar background, were involved in the similar trappings of addictive behaviour, and they said stuff about wanting to change, they said stuff about <coughs> really being committed to it. You know, if I'm honest, then this feels quite shameful to say, but a small voice inside would be like, yeah, maybe. You say that, I'm not really sure. If I was ever in a prayer meeting where um, they would be talking about the power of God to rescue people from addictive behaviours, I might pray a prayer, but then inside I'd think, that's a nice sentiment, but not in my experience. It's a nice sentiment, but that's not been my experience. You start to project past experiences, Onto future situations. And if you do that, it progresses further, and the hurt of the past poisons possibility in the future. The hurt of the past poisons possibility in the future. You start thinking and predicting the worst, and it leads people often to play it safe. Just think if you've seen this dynamic or in your life or in the life of others. So maybe you avoid people, or you start to keep your relationships at just a fairly shallow level hurt before, tried to trust before, no, let's just keep it up here, this is a good, this, I'm good with up here, down here not so much, let's keep it up here, shallow level. If I don't bear my heart to someone, they can't tread on it, that's the reality. And when we do that, what happens is our world gets smaller out of self-protection. And the really dangerous thing about accepting cynicism as a way of protecting yourself, or as a way of dealing with hurt, is that in the long run, if you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. If you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. You might think cynicism is a helpful strategy for self-protection, but that is what can happen. And many people have chosen that path before. Many people have gone, you know what? I'm gonna turn the people valve off. I'm done with people. I'm even done with church. Just you and me, Jesus, you and me, God, in our bedroom. Let's just do that. That's far easier. That's far much less likely to get hurt. No problems come with that one. But actually, there are multiple problems that come with that. I mean, here's just one of them. One of the main ways that we know and serve God is by loving and serving people. That's the reality. That's one of the main ways that we serve God is through serving the people that he's put around us. And it's also... Just a bit of a false dichotomy, because you only have one heart. So you can't like compartmentalize your heart and go, okay, well, you know, this bit's bitter, 
this bit's bitter towards people, but this bit's really soft towards God. It's like you kind of draw a line here, or this bit really rejects that idea, or doesn't like those people, but I'm warm towards these people. It's like, no, cynicism and bitterness, it's like a disease that spreads through the whole heart, spreads through the whole of who we are. And ultimately, if we're cynical about one area of life, you're probably going to slowly become cynical about many different areas of life eventually. And finally, why cynicism needs to be fought at all costs. It's because that progression ultimately leads to this. Eventually, (laughs) shall I sit down? (laughs) That's not very subtle, Tom. (laughs) This is my crescendo point. (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm joking, this is uh, one before. So this is what happens. Eventually, you'll stop trusting, stop hoping, and stop believing. You'll stop trusting, stop hoping, and stop believing. To succumb to cynicism actually makes the whole of life, functioning in the whole of life, pretty challenging. Toby Flint, who is a UK pastor, he puts it like this, I think it's helpful. He says, cynicism never ends well. Cynicism is the erosion of trust And trust is the bedrock of relationships. And without relationships, there's no family. There's no friendship. There's no businesses. There's no government. There's no country. In society, friendships and relationships are the core core to our functioning as a human race. And cynicism in the church will lead to a lack of expectation that God will do anything. That God will do anything. It's almost like trust is the currency on which life makes life work. Like you think money, money doesn't make the world go round. I know that's the saying, but just think about it. It's trust, isn't it? It's trust, trust in people, trust in systems, trust that people will do what they say they're gonna do. And that does make it challenging because we have been let down many times and many different people make promises they don't deliver on. But cynicism can't be the answer because it erodes all hope, it erodes all belief. And this doesn't just have a consequence for our experience of life, but it also will compromise the main part of our calling in the world as Christians. The main part of our calling in the world as Christians. If cynicism takes root in your heart, we will start to lose the antibodies of hope that God puts in our life. We'll just start to mirror the culture back to itself. There'll be nothing distinctly different. And ultimately, I think we become irrelevant because we'll have nothing to offer a hurting world. So instead of Christians being carriers of good news, we'll just start to cynically agree with the world that there probably isn't any. But the good news is there is an antidote to the cynicism in my heart, the cynicism in yours, and the cynicism that pervades our culture and our world. There is an antidote. As pervasive as cynicism is, there is a truth which will soften even the most hardened heart. If you want to get to the root, or if you want to get rid of what cynicism is in your life, you need to bring it to God and realize that cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. Cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. The gospel means good news. Good news, and that means that there are the antibodies of hope that we have to hold out to the world is that though we turned our back on God, God didn't turn his back on us. 
The good news is that there is always hope and that nobody is too far from God. The good news is that God sent Jesus into the world and we didn't know what to do with him. So we nailed him to a cross. And at that moment, every cynic in the world thought, huh, it's done. God's on the cross in the form of Jesus Christ. That's it. He had this bold plan. He's going to die. That's it. It's all done. And what happens? When every cynic thought it was done, when, when the disciples had their head in their hands, watching the hope evaporate in his death, three days later, God breaks the power of death. And Jesus rises from the dead to bring forgiveness to anybody who would hope in him. So when everyone thought it was done, God had one more play left. The hope of the gospel melts the shackles of cynicism because the biggest loss the world had ever experienced, just think about it, of all the broken promises, the biggest loss the world has ever experienced, God turned into the biggest win that anyone could ever experience, life in his name. When everyone said, just another broken promise, three days later, God came through. When the religious leaders were ready to say, I told you so, to the disciples. And the Pharisees of the day were ready to say, I told you so. He wasn't who he said he was. God took the words out of their mouths. He turned the most painful death into the most glorious resurrection, the darkest night into the brightest morning. Resist the tide of cynicism through the relentless hope of the gospel. If God isn't limited and Jesus was who he said he was, and I really do believe he is, and if that's not your story, then we really do hope here that you put your trust, that you explore who Jesus was, and that you would see that he really is who he says he was. That is our hope for you here. But if he was who he says he was, then there are no dead ends, just opportunities to believe again. And as Christians, we don't have to be shaped by our past experiences because there's always possibilities a future grace. That's what the resurrection says, that we worship a God who isn't limited and can do more than we can ever ask or imagine. I guess the question is, are we asking and are we imagining sometimes? Or is it easier just to kind of climb on board of a cynical bandwagon? It's more comfortable. There's always a seat on the cynical bandwagon that you can sit on. It's always easier to roll your eyes with everybody else at a situation. It's much harder to be a voice of hope, but to be a voice of hope is who we are called to be. So you may think, okay, Rich, I get it. Like, cynicism melts under the hope of the gospel. Like, that's like the 30,000 feet truth. But how do I get it to really land in my heart? Like, how does it really transform me? Maybe you think, Rich, if you actually sat down with me and heard my story, you'd know why I am the way I am. How does it actually take hold of our hearts and transform it? I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just imagine this perspective. The God of the universe had every reason to be cynical about us. Every reason. He could have rolled his eyes. We turn away from him. We go alone in our own strength. We say, God, I've messed up again, or I said this time would be different, and it hasn't been. God, you're probably getting bored of me by now. I'm praying the same prayers. I don't feel like I'm moving on. He's probably fed up, right? Here he goes again. There they go again. But what did Jesus do? He didn't roll his eyes. He gave his life. When God had every opportunity to be cynical about you and me, 
He didn't roll his eyes. He gave his very life. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He brought about the solution while we were still making the mess. He didn't wait for us to finish. He just got on and brought about the solution while we were still rolling around in our mess. He was busy bringing about redemption. God is never hardened by cynicism towards his children, but he is always moved out of love and compassion. And he says to us, go and do the same. He says to us, go and do the same. When you realize that God didn't give up on you, it frees you and moves you not to give up on others. I really do think that's true. When you realize at a deep level that God didn't give up on you, it's really hard to stand on that perspective and still judge and be cynical about other situations and other people. So for some of you, maybe it's a friendship. For some of you, maybe it's an attitude towards work or a posture towards your family. For some of you, it might even be your marriage. You've grown cynical about your marriage. And today is a day to trust again. Today is a day to hope again. Today is a day to put your heart back in your hand. To put your heart back in your hand, to believe again, to trust again, and to hope again. And then there's the collective power of God's people. So look around the room for a moment. Let's have a good look at everyone around you. What would it look like if Mosaic Church, instead of joining the chorus of cynicism in the culture around us, were prophetic voices of hope in this city? What would that look like? What would that look like for us to point people to a greater hope? When everyone else rolls their eyes or when everyone else kind of looks disparagingly or speaks disparagingly about others at your workplace, what about if we were moved to compassion and we thought the best or we asked another question when everyone else said, no, that's the situation? What about if we considered a different outcome? I want to leave us with this challenge. What does it mean to be a voice of hope in a sea of cynicism? Do you want to stand with me? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we want to make the space here this morning to just reflect honestly about the state of our hearts, to reflect honestly about where maybe the poison of cynicism has crept in and it's crept into our lives. Maybe we haven't consciously chosen it, but all of a sudden, if we're honest, this is where we've landed. This is where we've landed. And I want to pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that you would just free us, just to be vulnerable enough, just to say to you, God, like, shine a light on the areas where I've grown cynical. Like, help me just have an honest reflection moment about where I'm at with this. Lord, I thank you that when you had every reason to be cynical about us, Lord, you were moved to compassion 
Lord, and for those who are sat here today who maybe feel discouraged or feel like they should be further on than they are right now in this area, those where lack of trust has entered or bitterness, maybe where it's undermined hope in the day-to-day. Because there are lots of reasons. There are are lots of reasons that surround us to let go of hope. But the reality is you have placed us in this world, in this kingdom, of the now and the not yet. So Lord Jesus, we, we stand here saying we want to be a people. We want to be a people who are able to look around, to see the brokenness, but not succumb to it. To look around, to hold out hope. Lord, when others say it's only despair, that's all we're left with. Lord, we want to be resurrection people who believe that life can from them come from the from death, who believe that there are no real dead ends because you are a God of miracles. Yeah, anything is possible. Thank you. Help us, Lord, not just to roll our eyes with the pervading culture around us, but to be prophetic voices of hope <coughs> to share your hope with the watching world. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.